Welcome to the Insider Worldbuilding Podcast, a place to experience life in another dimension, told from the perspective of a visitor to that dimension. I'm Fox Keys, that visitor is me, that dimension is called Dunaree, and I have lived here since I was tricked into passing through an interdimensional gateway just after my 14th birthday. Not only do I wish to share the story of how I survive in Dunaree, I hope my experiences in how I was taught to understand this world may help you build your own unique secondary world. In this episode, I describe how I first experienced extreme weather in Dunaree. I explain how to use weather in your world building. And the strange but true tells what happened when a group of crackpot inventors tried to use a tornado as a weapon. And, surprise, surprise, the free bottle of fire water we got for allowing Island Fire Distillery to sponsor the last episode tasted so delicious, we've decided to let them sponsor this episode too. Just so we can get another bottle, you see. So, this episode is sponsored by Island Fire, distillers of the finest fire water from the Northern Isles. So, on now with the show. What is the weather like in Dunaree, you might wonder? Well, I thought it was all sunshine and blue sky until I awoke one morning to find the windows grey with fog. This dampened down my enthusiasm for my morning walk. The grimness outside reminded me too much of trudging to school on winter mornings back home in Ireland. Shiny Top didn't help by saying he wasn't going outside in that weather. Of course, I could have just taken him along, but I liked the stick. I liked the stick a lot. I never wanted to force him to do anything he didn't want to do, so if he didn't want to go out, well, he could stay back home. A ghost cat called number 15 turned up. She said that, because of the weather, she would guide me outside instead of number 20. Number 15 had a deep tire track across her chest, as all of these dead cat ghosts were supposed to warn me about the dangers of doing a re by telling me how they died. I figured I was in for a road safety lesson. Whatever had run her over had almost cut her in half. If you looked at number 15 sideways, she looked like two pieces of cat, the upper lower parts held together by a hinge. She walked with a really dreadful, unstable wobble. And when I followed her outside, I discovered that a grey day in Dunaree was much, much worse than a grey day in Ireland. The cloud was low and claustrophobic. A grey nest had pressed down to the top of the compound wall, like some unstable, dirty ceiling. The upper half of Ganhook's fortress was gone, and the little pillars of smoke rising off the jeweller's roofs resembled pillars holding up the sky. It struck me that when the jewellers finished their morning smelting, the sky could collapse. The grey leached into the city, dulling the bones, darkening the alleys and pooling in shadows all around. A few people who were out 
hurried across the square. Each person carried a metal-tipped stick that tapped off the ground as they hurried past. Tap, 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 tap. The sounds niggled my anxiety. I didn't remember seeing anyone carry a stick before. A group of kids marched into the square. They were about my age. Apart from one boy wearing a white shirt, each was wearing a blue shirt with a yellow stripe, and each carried a metal-tipped stick. The white-shirted boy kept glancing about, like he was looking for an opportunity to bolt. Despite this, there was a jovial air about the group. They stopped in the middle of the square. A few of the girls stared my way and giggled. I felt my cheeks flush. I really, really hoped I wasn't blushing red, and, if I was, that the girls wouldn't notice it from twenty metres away. Rattled, I looked away, pretending to analyse the square to avoid their curious gazes. We had almost reached Obiah's store when an orange cat tore past. I'd seen that cat before. It was a lazy, long-haired beast that spent its days following the sunlight around the square. Only now, with its long hair standing on end and its tail stiff as a poker, it looked more like a toilet brush and legs. The cat scrabbled at a nearby door. The door opened. The cat flew inside. The door slammed shut. I turned to number 15 and said, What's happening? Number 15 looked up at the clouds, her upper half leaning back so much I thought she might snap in half. He said, The blue rain is here. I had never heard of blue rain, but I knew it just couldn't be good. Pointing back at the compound, I said, Let's watch it from inside. Number 15 pointed up and said, Look, a wind rose, silently pushing a wave of dust across the square, and, as if affected by the wind, the cloud shimmered blue in places. Shadows appeared, deep blue shadows that meandered about through the cloud with the menacing grace and beauty of a school of hunting sharks. I tracked several of these shadows as they congregated above the white-shirted boy, his friends drew away from him, forming a loose circle, as if to either protect him or prevent him from escaping. The boy hadn't noticed the shadows yet. I wanted to shout something at him, but I had no idea what to shout. Besides, there was something so organised about the group's behaviour that told me they were following a plan. The boy looked up. His face creased. Briefly, I thought he was about to cry. Then, as his friend shouted encouragement, he drew his shoulders back and bowled his fists. The air crackled and the patch of blue cloud above him started trembling and hissing. A pillar of blue mist dropped down around him. Then, like he was being attacked by a swarm of insects, he broke into a crazy dance, jigging about in a circle, his legs kicking out his arms flailing. I was so shocked by this. I hadn't noticed the blue shadows gather above me. My hackles rose. My ears tingled. I glanced up. 
the cloud above my head was glowing a beautiful blue, the glow of it washing over me like a chilly winter sunbeam. If nothing else, I thought, it would cool down my cheeks. Dead cat, I cried, forgetting what number today's dead cat was. Dead cat, it's raining blue light. Don't run, number fifteen replied. Don't panic. Accidents happen when you panic. That's how I died. I panicked. I ran under the delivery cart. Don't panic. Don't panic. Don't panic and don't run. There wasn't much chance to be running anywhere anyhow. My legs were frozen with fear. I yelled, is it electricity? I had shouted so loud. More of the kids were pointing my way now. Each held their sticks to the ground. These sticks, I presumed, grounded them from the electricity in the cloud. I also presumed that was the reason Shiny Top hadn't come with me. He didn't want to be used as a grounding device either. Unfortunately, physics hadn't been my strongest school subject, but I knew enough about electricity to realise that this was some bizarre electrical storm, a storm whose energy saw me as the perfect conduit to the ground. As the blue light fell over me, it felt like I was being zapped a thousand times a second. Yet, the sensation was more annoyingly ticklish than the savage tud I had received when I'd once poked a live wire at home to see what might have happened. Within seconds the crackling dissipated, and the light sank away. I wanted the bolt to the compound, but the girls were still watching, and it was a matter of pride that I stand tall because the boy in the white shirt was standing tall, his face beaming as the last flickers of light around him sank away. We exchanged glances. In that instant, a bond formed between me and the stranger, a feeling that we'd survived some kind of test. Then his friends surged around him, hoisted him into the air, and carried him off in a cacophony of sounds and laughter and cries of hurrah, 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 I longed to go with them. I longed to shout and laugh and cry hurrah too. As they disappeared down a side street, I was left standing in the empty square, my only companion, a dead cat. A feeling of intense loneliness swamped me. Images of my friends back home swept through my mind. Ashling, Red Peter, all the others, all the people I'd shared so many things with all the people I might never see again. Number 15 said, You see, the blue rain is harmless. I said, Well, isn't that just great? Number 15 shrugged. Ganhook just said you needed to experience it. That's why we're out here. That made me angry. I said, You could have warned me. You survived, didn't you? Number 15 smiled. That really annoying Steincat smile. And now you know better. Actually, I felt dumber than ever. And furious with Ganhook. I was from another dimension. How did he know the blue rain wouldn't dissolve me into some meaty electrical sludge? I confronted number 15 with this, she said. Because he has survived it. That's how he knew. Once again, my suspicions about where Ganhook was really from rose powerfully in my mind. 
As usual, though, Ganhook avoided me for the rest of the day. And when I interrogated Shiny Top about what number 15 had said about Ganhook, Shiny Chop just kept thanking me for not forcing him out into the blue rain because he said it made him tingle for days. I had no idea how he could experience tingling, but trying to figure out the inner life of a ghost was like trying to figure out the inner workings of a rock. I didn't even bother trying anymore. By way of consolation, Shiny Top told me that the ancients believed that this weather system carried spirits to the city. Blue spirits, from some distant place, that needed to reach the great spirit gateway beneath the city. It's electricity, of course, Shiny Top added, but some superstitious folks still believe the old tales, and the younger people often use the blue rain to test each other's courage. In as sarcastic a voice as possible, I said, Oh, how wonderful! Shiny Top tut-tutted, then said, It is also a method to introduce you to the concept of sentient storms. I said, Spirited storms? Everyone, Shiny Top said grimly, should experience the blue rain so as to know what greater evil lies to the west. Right then, I didn't want to hear any more about spirit storms. I was too annoyed that Shiny Top had kept silent about Ganhook. That was fair enough, I thought. But if that tongue of his didn't loosen up before the next blue rain arrived, he'd be coming outside with me. Maybe just the threat of a bit of tingling alone might encourage him to talk. And if that meant getting more rootless and doonery, then so be it. Some context on my first experience of extreme dunery weather. How can weather be used in world building? In countless ways, that's how. Weather affects our lives like nothing else. Weather has caused disasters, migrations, cultural shifts and wars. Weather has also enabled us to innovate, to harness energy, or, if you're lucky, live beside a beach in a nice warm climate. Weather is also one of the most talked about subjects between people. I mean, who doesn't like a good moan about the rain? Get some ideas on using the weather in your work. Study the weather where you live. Note how it affects people's moods, behaviours, how they dress and how they might use bad weather as an excuse to be lazy. Maybe study weather events in other countries. Or take a current hot topic like climate change. Does your fantasy world suffer from climate change? If so, how could this force change? Wars, perhaps? Discrimination against climate migrants? Maybe people in your world adopt bad practices that affect the environment. Or maybe a neighbouring civilization is using bad practices that affects your protagonist's land. How could these bad practices upset a balanced environment? Can you use the weather in your world to surprise your audience? And I don't mean having a lightning bolt turn your protagonist into an X-ray. No. It's more like using the weather to unexpectedly alter world events. For example, a great storm rises during a battle. Could this influence the battle's outcome? 
or maybe a flash flood sweeps away the only bridge your protagonist can use to escape her enemy. The possibilities are endless. The weather always surprises us. Use those surprises to add further layers of drama to your world building. Nobody in Dunery quite managed to ever manipulate the weather. But could it be manipulated in your world? And what could be the consequences if the manipulation failed? Say, for example, it's the king's birthday. Every year they hold a grand outdoor festival to celebrate this. The king demands good weather. If it rains, the kite display would be a washout. And the kite display is the king's favourite thing. Somebody will suffer if it rains. That somebody doesn't like suffering. Though that somebody must ensure it doesn't rain. How can they achieve this? And at what cost? Suppose the solution is resource-intensive and others lose out from losing resources. And so on and so on. You get the idea. Dive down the rabbit hole and see where it brings you. And think about how to use a weather event to introduce other aspects of your world. While the blue rain was just a bizarre thunderstorm, it introduced me to the concept of spirit storms which are dangerous, sentient storms. I also learned that Ganhook was not from Dunery. I heard about some of the ancient Dunery beliefs and legends, and I had my first, brief, romantic encounter. Yes, it's true. Sadly, in those days, if a girl even bothered to look at me, I considered it a major romantic encounter. Not that I'm going to talk much about my romantic life here. Right now, I'd rather complain about the weather. I'm back in Ireland. It's been raining non-stop for three days. Rain and gloom and cold and endless moaning from the neighbours. It's more depressing than watching Ireland news to England and soccer. I can't wait to get back to Dunery and feel sunlight on my face. For now, though, I think I'll just have to head to the pub. This episode is strange but true deals with one audacious attempt to harness the weather in Dunery. Over the millennia, many have attempted to harness the weather, partly to develop stable and more productive farming methods, partly to prevent catastrophes, and partly for defence, primarily against spirit storms. While spirit storms are not considered weather patterns, the reasoning went that weather patterns could be used against them. Resources were poured into the development and research of this theory. All manner of experiments were performed, none of which proved useful. Not all, however, ended their days in embarrassing failure. The look-away spinner is one example. A team of crackpot inventors figured that if they could artificially create a mini-tornado, and dropped that mini-tornado into a spirit storm, they could destroy the storm. The crazier of this group even imagined that they could create a method of controlling spirit storms. As spirit storms are humanity's greatest threat, the money poured in, enabling the inventors to construct a test base just beyond the city of Bones. Considering the nearest tornado alley was 4,000 kilometres away, the group of scientists and crackpots exhausted much of their funds travelling to the zone for study trips.
and there were no tents in the wilderness or army rations or threat of enemy attack for these people. Oh no, they weren't that crazy. They travelled by luxury air, stayed in the finest lodgings and through parties, all in the name of researching the finest local produce, that the cream of society envied. While a few were martyred getting too close to their research material, the rest studied, theorised, made plans and dreamed. Eventually, within the enormous cylinder at their test centre, they created a prototype twister. The problem was, it kept collapsing because they couldn't get it to spin fast enough. Soon after, the project itself collapsed. And when the creditors moved in to salvage the remains of their investment, they discovered that the prototype twister was still slowly spinning. In fact, it had become self-powering and might spin forever. The creditors converted the base into a weather-themed adventure park called the Storm Shadow. The star attraction of the park was the twister. In honour of the first inventor killed during research, they named it the Lookaway Twister. Brave visitors can ride the twister by stepping into its tail and spiring it upwards before toppling out and passing down through its eye into a pool of warm, bubbly water. Great fun for all the family, they say. It's perfectly safe, the Storm Shadow Management claims, though they still haven't found anyone willing to offer an accident insurance. Anyone who wants to ride the twister must sign the disclaimer excusing the company from any liability in case of accident. There is no reward without risk, the company claims. And judging by the visitor numbers, there are more than enough people who agree with them. That's it for this episode of the Insider World Building Podcast. Once again, I would like to thank Island Fire for sponsoring this show. Island Fire distilled the finest fire water from the Northern Islands. I promise you, you'll never have tasted anything like it. Next time, I will expand on the illness and world building concept that I introduced in Season 1, Episode 12 of the Insider World Building Podcast. And if you found this episode interesting, you could do me a huge, huge favour and leave a review of my podcast on your podcast host. I have posted instructions on how to do this on the World of Dunery website, www.worldofdunery.com. You can find the link in the show notes. Bye for now. As we say in Dunery, Dreyavik. I'll be to make sure I'm staying with the same thing, Shane. It's sure as impact. We're with Chelsea.